I want to preach tonight in the Psalms, Psalm 22. It's one of the most well-known Psalms. And I want to preach on the subject of the cry from the cross. The Psalm 22, the cry from the cross. So let's read together a few verses as we begin tonight. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent, but thou art holy. O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me to hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have come past me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths and as a ravening and a roaring lion and poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stir upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thy far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. O Father, help us tonight to understand what these words mean. And the people tonight will understand the supernatural character of the scriptures and of the gospel message and save those who are lost tonight. For we pray it and ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now this psalm is the psalm of David. It was written over a thousand years BC. And yet it is very clear that this is a prediction and a description of what Jesus, the son of David, would experience in his darkest hour, the crucifixion and the cross of Calvary. These are what we call messianic psalms, and they're prophecies of what Jesus would go through, you know, a thousand years later on. The wonderful thing about the messianic psalms is that they're very human. They They really help you to see the humanity of Christ. It helps you to see actually in his heart and what he's feeling when he's going through these experiences. They're very, very valuable uh, to help us to understand what the Lord was, was thinking. Now, I want to pose this to you. And again, I'm saying, you know, this is true, this is real. Well, how do you know it's true? How do you know the Bible's real? Well, how is it possible that the Old Testament speaks of the cross? Now, most of you will know the, the Bible's made up of two parts, the Old Testament and the New Parts. The Old Testament's the Jewish book, right? Well, it's our book too. But there's 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But when the apostles preached Christ out of the Scriptures, what Scriptures was it? When Paul said to Timothy, From a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, and are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus, what Scriptures was it? The New Testament wasn't written yet. Timothy's mommy and uh, grandmother were Jewish and they taught Timothy Old Testament scriptures. So how is it possible that the Old Testament, which was finished 400 BC, 
have any reference, have any detail at all to say anything about this person called Jesus, who he would be and what he would do. How is it possible for that to happen? Now the proof of the pudding's in the eating. Let me give you some details. And there's many, this is brilliant. Jesus in the Old Testament, Genesis 22. And God told Abraham to take his son, his only begotten son, Isaac, and to offer him upon one of the mountains in the land of Moriah. People think it's Mount Moriah, it doesn't say it. He says, take your son. And they lived in Beersheba, by the way, which is three days' journey. And they had to go to the place called Moriah, and that's Jerusalem. And when you get to the land of Moriah, when you get to Jerusalem, I will tell you. Later on, Abraham had said, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Because what God did with Abraham here in Genesis 22, again, is a picture. God's painting pictures for us. So that you would know that this is true. And so Isaac would be a burnt sacrifice. Now the thing about a burnt sacrifice, many of the sacrifices the priest could take the meat, take it home, feed the kids. But a burnt offering is something that is completely given over, completely consumed for God. And God was telling Abraham, take your son, your only son, and offer him as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains that I will tell thee of. Now there's many details, I'll be here all night. But it's interesting to me that Isaac, as he went up that same mountain, had wood on his back. The Bible says that. Isaac carried the wood upon his back. The wood was on Isaac's back, just as Jesus bore the cross to the place called Calvary. And when they got to the top, the Bible says that Isaac took the wood and they laid it in order. Now, do you know what that means? The word in order, look it up. It means to be crisscrossed. You see, in order to burn a sacrifice, you had to have air and there had to be something for the sacrifice to sit upon. And so the wood would be crisscrossed. Imagine that, that the wood on Isaac's back would be put on the ground, it would be crisscrossed, and then Isaac would be laid upon the wound. The wood was on Isaac, then Isaac was on the wound. And God, of course, you know, stopped Abraham. And he looked behind him and he saw a ram caught in a thicket. His head was wrapped in thorns. This ram which was always in the Bible, a substitute. And they offered the ram in the place of Isaac. But again, we would see the cross in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 12, you remember, we talked about that this morning, the Passover lamb. And God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The blood was a token. The man of the house would take the blood of the lamb and pour it into the basin. He'd take a little bunch of hyssop and put it in the, in the basin. He'd stand on the door of his house. He would hit the lentil. And then he would sit this side over here. And then he hit that side over there. And there he is, way back in the Old Testament. If you looked at him, he looked look like a priest or something. He's, he's making the sign of the cross in the Old Testament. In Numbers chapter 21, the children of Israel were murmuring and complaining. God sent judgment, poisonous snakes. And they cried unto Moses, and Moses cried unto the Lord. He says, Moses said, uh, the Lord said unto Moses, now what do you need to do, Moses? I want you to make a brass snake. And I want you to put it on a pole. Now, what kind of pole would it be? Would it be a metal pole? Plastic pole? Didn't have plastic in those days. It would have been a wooden pole. And how would you hang a brass snake on a wooden pole? Would you use duct tape or sellotape or a string of some sort? Maybe. But you know, when I see people carrying snakes, uh, they kind of carry them over your neck like that. Have you ever seen them? They always carry snakes over their neck like that. And if you had a brass one, how would you put a brass snake on a pole? Now, if you took another piece of wood and just kind of nailed it on there, like you would, like your man's shoulders, you could take that brass snake and hang it on there, and it would hang on that cross, wouldn't it? That'd be something else. Now, now the Bible doesn't say that, but Jesus said, as Moses lifted up in the serpent in the wilderness, so, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him 
Should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, they didn't have to worship the snake, which they did later on. God forbade it. They didn't have to help other people who were bitten. All they had to do was open the tent door and look. And there was life in a look. And Jesus said, even so. And if a man will simply believe on Christ and look to him, he will be saved. There's many other places I've told our people to memorize Genesis 22 and Exodus chapter 12 and Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. Psalm 22 tells you what happens at the cross. Isaiah 53 tells you why it happened. Now the opening verse in this psalm helps us to identify it as a messianic psalm. It's a verse we all know well. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And this psalm, I believe, is the key to understanding what was happening on the cross. This psalm is about a cry that was heard and a work that was accepted of the Father. Now, let me notice, first of all, with you, that this cry from the cross was at first not heard. This is speaking about Jesus on the cross. And on the cross, and he was there for six hours, from nine o'clock in the morning until three o'clock in the afternoon, the third hour to the ninth hour. And from noon until three o'clock in the afternoon, the sun was blotted out. And we see here, interestingly, as Jesus is crying, he says, why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Jesus is crying to the Father here, but he is not being heard. The Father has separated himself. He is so far from the cry and from helping the Lord Jesus. It's interesting in verse 2, he says, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and I'm not silent. And you know, in the six hours, three of them were in light, and three of them were in darkness. He was crying for the whole six hours. Now, as I was studying this, the Psalms leading up to this Psalm are very instructional. If you look at Psalm 20, and I want you to notice, and you can study this for yourself, it's actually in preparation for Psalm 22, both Psalm 20 and Psalm 21. And it's all about praying and crying and being heard. In Psalm 20, in verses 1 to 3, the Lord hear the, and this is like the people of the king who are encouraging the king and, and praying for the king that the Lord would hear the king. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings. This is a key part here. Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifice. Do you know what Jesus was offering here to God? The holy God who inhabits the praises of Israel. Jesus was offering a burnt offering of himself. Himself was the sacrifice to appease the wrath of God for the sin of all humanity for all time. And he was praying that God would accept his offering. Well, what we find is that he was not helped and he was not heard. He was ignored by the Father. Why art thou, why art thou so far from helping me? Thou hearest not. And indeed, Jesus died alone. The difference between Abraham and Isaac, Abraham was always with Isaac. But with Jesus, the father was separated from his son. 
And then he was reproached by men in verse 6 through 8. I'm a worm and no man reproach of men despising the people. You know what? People still despise Jesus. You may be here tonight and despise him. But the world despised Christ. They did, did it then, they do it, they do it still. And when you read Matthew 27, verse 39 to 43, you'll see exactly what happened in the crucifixion is a fulfillment of these verses in great detail. Now, the next bit is really what we emphasize with the psalm, and that is that he was compassed by men in verse 11 through verse 13. But I want you to know something quite interesting here. Did you know that Jesus was compassed about on two different occasions? First of all, you'll find that in verse number 12. Many bulls have come past me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lamb. That was the first time he was compassed. I don't need to tell you, you country people down here what it is to get into a field with a bull. My uncle Sam had a farm on the other side of Belfast over uh, the Ballysilm Hills and and he had cattle and, and the times he had booms. And we were going fishing on the Floyce River. We knew where the boo was. We knew what, fe- what field the boo was in. And I'm telling you what, we're not going to walk through a field with a bull in it and walk right through the center of that field because I've seen that bull come after people. I'm not going to go anywhere near it. If we ever had to get into the field with a bull, we'd stick close to the fence. All the way around. We'd take the long way around. If that bull came after us, we would be over the fence. What would it feel like to be in the middle of the field with a bull looking at you? Ooh. What would it be like to be in the middle of the bull, uh, middle of the field with bulls completely surrounding you? How would you feel like at that moment? That's how Jesus felt. Now this is kind of interesting because when we, he talks about uh, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. I want you to look at Luke chapter 23 for just a moment. You see, Jesus was surrounded by men, not just Pilate and, his, and the Roman soldiers, there was a time before the Roman soldiers got to him. And if you look at Luke chapter 23 and verse number 4. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Because he wanted to find fault. Boy, he wanted to find fault, but he couldn't do it. You know why? Because there wasn't any fault. I find no fault in this man. And they were more fierce, that is the Pharisees, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout jury, Beginning, now watch this, beginning from Galilee to this place. Now, Galilee, wait a minute, as soon as Pilate heard Galilee, he says, wait a second. In verse 6, when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. The reason Herod was there is because it's Passover. And it's a pilgrimage feast that had to be there. Now here's the thing, uh, we, we studied this when we studied the herds, and when Herod the Great, who was the herd that killed all the babies at Jesus' birth, when he died, um, he divided his kingdom between four. His brother Philip, who was way up in the north, his sister, who was over in the Gaza Strip, basically, and uh, Herod um, Antipas, who was uh, Herod uh, Tetrarch, the word Tetrarch means a quarter, and then also his son Archelaus. Now Archelaus got Jerusalem and Judea. And he was a disaster. The Romans even hated him. He was such an evil and wicked person. He only survived like about six or seven years and they got rid of him and he ended up then. And the Romans says, we're not going to put another herd in there. They're too much trouble. And so we will send governors from Rome to Jerusalem and Judea. And of course one of those governors ended up being Pontius Pilate. Now, when Pontius Pilate heard that Jesus was from Galilee, 
Then he thought to himself, I can, get, I can offload this problem on Herod because Herod, the Tetrarch, his headquarters is in Tiberias in Galilee. And so, now here's the point that I'm making. In Psalm 22, many bulls have come past me, strong bulls of Bashan. Do you know where Bashan is? Bashan is in Galilee. Bashan actually is the, Gol, uh, the Golan Heights. Now, wait a minute. He's saying here that these men who are compassing him, that they look like bulls, they're acting like bulls, they're trying to put fear and intrepidation into the heart of Christ. And then in verse 13 it says, They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening on a roaring lamb. Do you know the only thing that these men could touch with Jesus, Jesus with was their words? Do you know why? Because they didn't have jurisdiction over Jesus. Only Pilate could punish them. Now I want you to see this. Look over at Luke chapter 23 again. And uh, let's see, look down at verse... Um, uh, look down at verse 7. And as soon as he knew that he belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. Herod loved the, he wanted to see Jesus. You know, Jesus never went to Tiberias. You know, God's not in the entertainment business. You see, old Herod, he wanted Jesus to do some miracle, something sensational. People are like that. They want the sense. They want to be entertained. God's not in the entertainment. He's not going to do miracles for you for you to be entertained. Jesus never went anywhere near him. And so, verse 8, And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have made miracle, uh, have seen some miracle done by him. And then he questioned him in many words, but he, Jesus, answered him nothing. Well, Herod's in, in his ear. Jesus not responding. He answered him nothing. Well, what happens then? Well, the chief priests, they're, they're pouring the, uh, the petrol on the fire here in verse 10. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Now watch verse 11. And Herod with his men of war. Where were they from? They weren't Romans. They were probably a mixture of Jews and probably Gentiles because the Jews were on the, on the west side of the uh, Jordan River and many of the Gentiles, Decapolis, that's the Gentile area over on the eastern side. And these people, these men were made up of probably Jew and Gentile from the Galilean area. These were the boods, the strong boods of Bashan. And heard with his men of war, set him at naught. That word naught means that you are zero. You are nothing. You're coming in here like you're a king. I'll tell you what they are. And those Roman soldiers, or those uh, soldiers of Herod got around Jesus and they gnashed on him with their teeth. They mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe. That's a white robe. That's a white and glistening. We think of the scarlet robe that Pilate gave him, but he had another robe here, a gorgeous robe, and sent him again to Pilate. But Psalm 22 has given you a detail of how in the world could David understand this, that it wasn't just one time that Jesus would be surrounded by men, but twice. And once by men from Galilee who couldn't touch him physically, but boy, they let him have it with their mouths. They called him everything and they got in his face. I can see the spit going into Jesus' face as they get in his face and set him at naught. And so Jesus was surrounded. Then, of course, he was surrounded again. If you look at verse 16, it says, For dogs have compassed me. In other words, dogs is a common term that the Jews would use for Gentiles. The Roman soldiers were Gentiles. And we don't have time to go through all the New Testament readings of this, but you will know the story well, I'm sure, that Pilate sent them out to be crucified and the, the Roman, all the Roman guards were called together. 
And there they mocked Jesus. And there they flogged Jesus. And then they took him out. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever, ever felt that. There's many people in Bethlehem. I remember still at the church last week there that I went to Somerdale, or as Pastor Muir calls it, Dummerdale. And that was a school in North Belfast that was basically just a reformatory school. It was a secondary school, but it was a, an absolute dive. And I missed 80 days in one year. That's how much I liked it. I went fishing on Thursday and Friday. <laughs> Became a real good fisherman, but wasn't very smart. Because you see, in that school, you basically had to be on the defensive. And I went in as a late student, and I was the old boy out. And they would throw you down the hall, and there'd be boys on one side and boys on the other side, and they'd all be kicking you. And you get out, and the, you go, you know, the Bible says the prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. The simple pass on and are punished. That was me, I was the simple one. I'd just walk right in the middle of them. Hey, come here, you. Boom, boom, boom. And I know what it is to be surrounded by people who are kicking the life out of you. Can you, do you know what Jesus went through for you? The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. And then it says this, and this is amazing. They pierced my hands and my feet. All right, you can look at the historical records in the Old Testament. David never had his hands and feet pierced. Roman crucifixion didn't come to 700 years after this. The Phoenicians, maybe 500 years after this, but it wasn't a popular thing until, until the Romans got it. And they kneeled and crucified people kneel through the hands and kneel through the feet. Now, how in the world did the author of this psalm know that detail? I mean, please tell me, because there is no answer for it. I don't care who the professor is and who the intelligent, um, you know, uh, uh, doubters and agnostics and atheists will, who try to challenge the word of God. There is no answer for that. They pierced my hands and my feet. You see, the Romans could touch them. And they did. And then it says, I may tell all my bones. Now the word tell is, is the old English word for count. Like you go to a bank teller. A bank counter. He says, I can look down. I can see every rib. I can count all my bones. His body was eviscerated. Oh, what he suffered for me and for you. I may tell all my bones. They look and stir upon me. It says that they sat down and they watched him there. You know, Jesus didn't have a loincloth. It was shame. It was agony. And then he puts in this detail in verse 18. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. They gambled. There was four soldiers, the Roman couturier. And if one of the soldiers said, I that garment, it's, got, it's all woven from top to bottom. It's, got a, it's like a poncho, you know. It's a very expensive garment. One of the soldiers says, I'll have that, thank you very much. The other three of them down his throat. He said, what are you doing? No, we're going to draw straws for that. We're going to gamble for that one. How did this psalmist know the detail of that? Explain it to me, because I can't get an answer for it, except to say that God wrote the Bible, and he knows the end from the beginning, and he prophesies these details. Therefore, it is true. It's true. That's why you should believe. You should believe because... It's believable. It's true. They part my garments among them, cast lots upon my vesture. Now, 
All of what I've said tonight is usually what we preach when we're preaching from Psalm 22 and we're trying to convince people of the supernatural character of Scripture and the reality of these detailed prophecies that are fulfilled and cannot be explained and we should do that. But I'm going to tell you something, that's not what this psalm is about. This psalm is not about the pierced hands and feet, although it's part of the story. It's not the main thrust of the story. The main thrust of the story is what I said at the beginning. This is a cry. This is what he went through. But the psalm is about Jesus crying. He's crying to the Father. Let me show you something. We're going to come back here. Keep your place in Psalm 22. But look at Hebrews chapter number 5, please. Would you do that? Hebrews chapter number 5. First of all, the cry of Christ is not heard. And it's not heard through one hour Two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours. At the end of the sixth hour, something happens. But initially, the cry of Christ is not heard. And he feels no help from the Father and no relief and no assurance that his offering is going to be accepted. And in Hebrews 5, this is a very interesting and puzzling verse. In verse 7, it says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Now, when you read verse 7, you think, well, when did that happen? Was that the Garden of Gethsemane? When he said, let this cup pass from me? Well, friend, that prayer wasn't answered the way he asked for it to be answered. The cup was not taken from Christ. He was not going to be spurned. It was impossible for the salvation of man to take place without this burnt offering being made. And so this is not Gethsemane. And you may have a better interpretation I'd like to maybe hear tonight before we go home. But I really believe this is speaking about Calvary. I think this is speaking about the cross in the days of his flesh when he offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears. He was crying to the Father that God would accept his offering. His burnt offering on behalf of humanity. And it was met by silence for six hours. And then notice what happens. Now this is what the psalm is about. You see, we always stop about verse 18. We neglect the rest of the psalm. You've got to read the rest of the psalm. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, Be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Because God the Father was far from him. He he was made sin for us who knew no sin. He was burned the wrath and the anger and the separation and the guilt and the judgment of God upon him. Be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength, haste thee to help me. Now watch. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. What is this? This is a cry. And then in verse 21. Save me from the lion's mouth. And then a colon. And that colon is the balance point between the first part of the psalm and the last part of the psalm. Because in the last part of verse 21, he says, For thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. In verse 24, For he hath not despised nor abhorred The affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. Now here's what happened. Six hours had went by. Those last three hours, the sun was blocked out. 
But in the Gospel of John it says, Jesus knowing that all things were accomplished. Somehow he understood that something had happened in heaven. You see the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that God the Father looked upon the travail of his soul. Christ was in travail upon the cross. Not just rejected by man and suffering the physical torments of crucifixion. Which by the way they made a special word for. It's called excruciating. Do you know the word excruciating means out of the cross? They had to have a special word for the crucifixion. But the thing that he was most concerned about was the Father. Lord, will you receive me on behalf of humanity? And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And listen, here's what happened. God looked upon the travail of his son. And God was moved in that moment for six hours. He had been looking and noting every teardrop and every blood that was shed, every blood droplet. And he was making Christ pay the price of our sin. He was making Christ pay our hell, which is eternal separation from God. But there was that moment. And what was it? It was the moment when he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's at the point when God the Father says, It's enough, it's enough. He saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied. God the Father was satisfied. Atonement had been made. God was satisfied in his righteous demands for sin. And he received the offering of our Lord Jesus. And Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, said, It is finished. And you know what happened? The sun came out. And the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. And God the Father was satisfied with the sacrifice and the burnt offering of Jesus for the sin of humanity. He died for us and God the Father said, yes, I will accept the offering of my son on behalf of David Moore and Tom Fittis and the sins of the world. He is the way, the only way, because this is the only sacrifice that I have accepted. His cry at first was not heard, but then it was heard. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Because Jesus' cry was heard, salvation is provided for you, for me. And you know, when you read through the rest of the psalm in Psalm 22, it's wonderful. He goes down um, in verse number 26. Look at it. The meek, this is Jesus speaking. He says, listen, because this has been accomplished, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Hey, what? Your heart shall live forever. Salvation has been provided. Your heart will live forever. Look at the last verse of the psalm. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. That's you and me. That the Lord hath done this. That he hath done this. God has done this for you and for me. Let me tell you something. Jesus died for you. Do you know what that means? It means that he took your hell for you so that you didn't have to. He paid your fine so that you could go free. And what a waste it would be if you're here tonight. And you say, well, that's all very well and good, but I'm not ready yet. Well, okay. That's happening. That's coming. And friend, if you die without Jesus Christ, you will have to pay the price that Jesus already paid for you. Because you have to receive that atonement. It has to be imputed to you. You have to receive him in order to receive his work at Calvary. 
But I'm here to tell you tonight that he hath done this. All this Jesus did to get you into heaven. My friend, there's not, there's not a day in all eternity. When God created this wor- world in six days, it didn't cost him anything. He wasn't tired at the end of it. When Jesus come on the, on, the creation, on the crowning day, it won't cost him anything. What a time of rejoicing that will be. But there is one day in all eternity that it cost God, and it was crucifixion day. Now you may think, and I'm going to say this, you may think, well, I don't really believe in hell. I don't really believe that eternal judgment is that bad. Well, why would Jesus go through what he went through to get you out of it? It's one of the reasons I know hell is real, that he wouldn't go through, but he would go through all of that to save me from that. I'm telling you, you need to be saved. And Jesus is the only way, and he is the only saviour. As we close tonight, do you believe? Will you believe? Is this true? See, if this wasn't true, I'd throw it in the corner. I'd burn it. I'd be out of here. The reason I'm here, the reason I'm telling you, the reason I'm preaching tonight is because it's true. It's true. And time is running on. And one day you will die. You will close your eyes in death. And God's going to be looking for a payment. The wages of sin is death. And friend, if you don't have Jesus and his payment on your record, then you've got to pay it. You say, well, God will be merciful. He wasn't merciful to Jesus. He was so straight about it, so serious about it, that he would put his son through this. And you say, well, I think God will just have mercy on me. No, he won't. The only mercy that you'll get is in Jesus. Because it's the only way to God. Will you hear me tonight? Will you listen to the Spirit of God tonight? Will you heed the gospel tonight? Because, my friend, your soul is precious to him. He wants you with, he wants you to live in his house forever. But God himself can't get you there until your fine is paid. And he's provided the payment for that fine. But you've got to receive it unto yourself in order for that to happen. There's no salvation out of him. Please, friend, tonight. And I know what it is to sit in your seat. I know what it is to be lost and to be not interested. But friend, it's true and it's real. And you've got to be saved. And don't put it off. Because we know not what the morrow brings. You're precious, you're loved, and salvation is free and is offered to you tonight. He loves you, and he will save whosoever will that will believe upon his son. Are you saved tonight? If you're saved tonight, you should be glad and rejoicing in so great a salvation and so great a saviour. How much he loves us. Oh, what he went through for us. And if you're not saved tonight, you can't be. Honestly, you really can't be saved tonight before you leave this place. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Father, help us tonight to know the the reality of the gospel. And Holy Spirit, please work in all of hearts tonight, especially of those who need to be seen. Maybe they came tonight because they were compelled to come or, or they were drugged to church tonight or whatever it may have been. But Lord, they're here and they've heard something, maybe something they haven't heard before. But Lord, I pray that you'd help them. To do what I did. Lord have said no. Lord have said maybe. Lord have said later. But Lord, I want to be saved right now. Right as I sit in my seat, I want you to save me. Lord, please save me. That the work of Calvary, what you did on the cross, would go on my record. Lord, save me. Lord, may that be many people's prayer tonight, we pray in Jesus' name.